Hello everyone, my name is Simon Carver and welcome to Dagnall Street Baptist Church's podcast service for Sunday the 26th of June. For today's podcast we go back into the Old Testament and the story of how Samuel was called by God. The story has the idea of listening for God's voice at its heart and that's the theme of much of today's music. We've just heard Marvin Gaye singing about hearing something on the grapevine and later we'll hear the Beatles singing about listening. In between, we have a choir of young people from Australia singing an a cappella version of Psalm 40. Just one notice today, which is that today's on-site service will be looking at this same theme of listening and Samuel, and it will be an all-age messy church service to which all are welcome. And now our call to worship, some verses from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me.
As we gather in your name, Lord, wherever we are, you are here with us. Bless us today as we share fellowship with each other and most of all with you. Living God, draw us close to you with a listening ear and eager spirit. Take us and mould us so that we may live our Christian calling. Help us to carry on to be witnesses of your love, even when it is difficult. Loving, forgiving God, we come before you now, confessing all that we know in our hearts that hurts you. For the times this week, when we have looked at someone from the older generation and have seen a difficult person rather than a child of yours, loving God, forgive us. For the times this week when we have looked at someone from the younger generation and have seen a troublemaker to be avoided rather than a child of yours, loving God, forgive us. For the times this week when we have looked at neighbourhoods and seen them as places from which nothing good can come rather than seeing the potential of new beginnings, loving God, forgive us. Loving God, give to each one of us the grace to see your world and its people through your eyes. Amen. A reading from the first book of Samuel, chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up and ran to Eli, here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied, go back to bed. So he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel! Again Samuel got up and went to Eli, here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. While Samuel was her firstborn, his mother Hannah went on to have three more sons and two daughters. Each year she and the rest of her family went to the sanctuary at Shiloh, Hannah made a new suit of clothes each year for Samuel and took them to him when she visited, the only time that she had to spend with her son. The Old Testament tells us that Samuel grew in strength and in his knowledge of God. Hannah's son's development was very different to that of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. The Old Testament refers to them as sons of Belial, which means sons of worthlessness, or, as we might call them, layabouts. The book of Samuel gives us two examples of their behaviour. 
The deal at the sanctuary was that the priests and his family had the right to eat any leftover meat once the animal sacrifices had been boiled up. But this wasn't good enough for Hophni and Phinehas, and they demanded that the worshippers give them some of the meat before it ever got to be offered to God. The other example of their bad behaviour was that they would have sex in the temple precincts with the women who served at the temple. Poor old Eli, half blind and nearly a hundred years old, didn't know what his sons had been up to, and he only found out about it by hearing temple gossip. God had called Eli and his family to serve him at the sanctuary at Shiloh. This is some years before Jerusalem became David's capital city and before Solomon built the temple. God had called Eli's father's house to be a family of priests and it was his intention that Eli's line would serve him forever. But God had lost patience with Eli's family and a prophecy was given in which God promised that Eli's line would be cut off and that as a sign these two sons would both die on the same day. 1 Samuel 4 tells us the story of the Philistines' capture of the Ark of the Covenant and how both Hophni and Phinehas died in battle on the same day. Eli was 98 years old at the time, and while he seemed to get over the death of his sons, the loss of the Ark of the Covenant caused him to fall off his chair, which broke his neck and killed him. Phinehas's wife was pregnant, and the shock caused her to go into labour, but she died in childbirth. However, before she died, she had just enough time to name her son Ichabod, meaning departed glory. And with her last breath, she declared that God's glory had left Israel. In speaking of the death of Eli, we've obviously jumped forward beyond our passage today, but it does help us to put the events that we heard about in context. There are certain similarities between the beginning of Luke's story, with its account of the circumstances surrounding the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus, and the story of the birth of Samuel. But there is one major difference. We read in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, of Simeon, the elderly priest at the temple in Jerusalem. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. You see, Simeon was expecting something to happen. In contrast, when we read about Eli, we see a man who'd grown tired of his family, his job, and everything about his life. When someone came into his sanctuary and was moved to pray from her heart, this was so outside his experience that he thought that she was drunk. This was Hannah. He may at one time have been a vigorous young man who was on fire for God, but he had become disillusioned and disappointed and had given up expecting God to actually do anything. This sense of drifting is one that we come across a number of times in the part of the Old Testament that tells us about this time in Israel's history. The narrator of Israel's history tells us about the period immediately prior to Eli's time, and he comments, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. In the first verse of our reading today, we get a more specific analysis of how Israel's life had drifted. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. You see, a malaise had spread across Israel. Not only was there no rule, but the commandments were also being ignored. The good ship Israel had become becalmed. It was rudderless and it was drifting. And Eli's expectations were low. 
So was he looking for a solution or was he part of the problem? If we were to take this verse about the word of the Lord and visions just as it stands, we could be tempted to believe that God himself was going through a quiet period. The Old Testament is not above describing God in anthropomorphic fashion, suggesting that God forgets, is deaf or even asleep. Obviously these are not to be taken literally, in that they are human perceptions of God whose personhood we share, but who is not a person like us. If these ways of describing God are really describing how we perceive God, what might that tell us about the narrator's words here? That God's voice was rarely heard. The idea of hearing God speak has interesting ramifications. In our society, the idea of praying, while not actively encouraged, is not yet frowned upon. People who would not describe themselves as religious will speak of praying for someone to recover from illness, for a missing child to return safely, or for someone who has been bereaved. Praying, that is speaking to God, is by and large okay. However, woe betide anyone in public life who suggests that God speaks to them. Speaking to God is an expression of the desires of the heart. Suggesting that God speaks to you is a symptom of psychosis. People in our society, and people in church are members of society of course, are discomforted by the suggestion that God speaks. I've read it suggested that we actually find it reassuring that Eli lived in a time when God's voice was rarely heard because it makes it easier for us to identify with him. It may make Eli's day seem comfortably familiar, but the causes of God's silence are anything but comfortable. We know that Eli's sons had no regard for God and we know that Eli didn't expect God to speak. Might not the way that this family behaved be just as much a cause as it was a result of the malaise. I have implied that the perception that God is not speaking might be that people are not expecting God to speak or are not listening. I'm sure that's true, but I wonder whether it might not also be true that God does stop speaking in response to our not listening or our stopping. As human beings, we like being in control of our own lives, of wanting, as is suggested in the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, to have the same knowledge that God has in order that we can live autonomous, independent lives. And so perhaps God sometimes grants our wish to live without him. This is a rather chilling thought, and it can sound as though God washes his hands of us, but it need not necessarily mean that. In our story this morning, we have the evidence, while the word of the Lord was rare, we find these very words at the beginning of a passage in which God does speak to a young man, a young man who owed his very life to his mother's belief that God would hear and answer her prayer. God does speak. It might just be that he doesn't speak to a particular person or to a group of people, perhaps because they no longer have regard for God or because they've given up expecting God to speak to them. That God had not given up on Israel is evidence from the fact that he spoke three times to Samuel. The narrator tells us that the Lord was with Samuel. One person's expectation that God would speak turned a nation around, and Israel came to recognise Samuel as a prophet and a leader of his people. What are we to make of Eli in all this? He seems to me to cut a rather sad figure. 
He was an old man who expected that his sons would continue in the family business of managing the sanctuary at Shiloh. And no doubt they would have done, although it would have been run on very different lines from Eli's plans for them, and would have been more like when the Borgias were in charge at the Vatican. Eli could see that his world was crumbling around him, and Samuel, this young man given by his mother to the temple, was the cause of his own family's downfall. What had been an answer to prayer for Hannah had been a sign of Eli's family's impending downfall. I've seen Eli described as being resigned to his fate, like an outlaw in the Wild West, having grown old, but knowing that one day either the law or a young gunslinger would catch up with him. But is he all bad? Before God called taxi for Eli and his sons and gave them their P-45s, Eli saw what needed to be done. To use that motif of the old outlaw once more, it was as if he knew his fate was sealed, but that he had one final chance to do the right thing for once. When God called Samuel, the boy was confused. He assumed, as Eli was the only other person there, it must have been the old priest who'd called him. Eli told the boy to go back to bed so that this old man could get some rest into his aching bones. This happened again, and then it happened a third time, but on this third occasion something stirred in Eli's mind. Perhaps he remembered how there was a time when God spoke to him in this way. So Eli told Samuel to go back to bed, and that if it should happen again, he should respond by telling God that he was listening. God's message for Samuel was good news for Israel, but not such good news for Eli and his family. Samuel was nervous of telling Eli what God had said, but Eli made him spit it out. His response on hearing that God had judged him and his sons was to accept it. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Eli's response was much the same as Gamaliel's when confronted by Peter's prophetic word in the Acts of the Apostles. If it's from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourself fighting against God. I've read that there's a correlation between the building of skyscrapers and the collapse of financial markets. This is bad news for certain parts of the world that invested heavily in building ever taller buildings to enhance their city's status. These buildings are planned when there is an upswing in the economy, but they tend to be completed when the markets have dipped. The reason being that it seems to be assumed that everything is always going to be okay. The collapse of Lehman Brothers a few years ago is a reminder that it's not the case that everything will always just carry on as it always has. Our world might suddenly implode. Eli is symbolic of this view that things will last forever, but he found out that it wouldn't and that God was going to do a new thing, and this new thing would not involve him or his Asbo sons. Eli assumed that it didn't matter how he and his family behaved. They had tenure at the sanctuary, and as long as they wanted to be in charge, that's where they would be. But God was bringing in new management, a new structure that didn't include Eli. In some ways, Eli was like John the Baptist, a midwife birthing a new age. But Eli's transitional role was more painful than John's, in that Eli, to mix metaphors, was still clinging to the wreckage of the past, as a new world was being born. 
I think there are a couple of lessons that we can learn from this story. The first is that expecting God to speak and being ready to listen and respond are both essential if we want the Spirit of the Lord to be with us as he was with Samuel. Secondly, there is also the salutary lesson that we cannot assume that we will always be the ones through whom God will speak. The church is growing, and it's growing most significantly in the developing or two-thirds world and amongst immigrants from those parts of the world who've come to the major cities in our own country. If we pick up on a business model again, there's a danger that if we're not careful, the established churches in the developed world could find ourselves to be analogue people in a digital world, redundant and bypassed as an irrelevance, except by those who've been brought up on it and like that sort of thing. You see, it's not that God no longer speaks. It's just that people no longer listen or even expect him to speak. And when that happens, people find that God speaks to someone else. So what's the answer? It seems to be to do as Samuel did, to be ready and waiting, and then to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let us pray. Ageless God, we pray for those for whom the years are advancing. We pray that they might find our present world and their communities free of fear. We pray that they might find ways to reach out to those who do not understand them and whom they themselves do not understand. We pray that as life becomes more difficult, as aching bones and failing senses put greater strain on doing even the smallest thing, that they might find the help they need 
and your peace and strength to support them each day. God, forever young and unchanging, we pray for those who at this time have a lifetime in front of them. Give them a vision of a life lived in harmony with their fellow human beings. We pray for those who feel that others do not understand their ways or outlook on life, who are seen only as troublemakers that they might come to realise that it's only through relationships and talking and listening that all may come to know each other more fully. We pray for those who at this time are trying to understand who they are as they struggle with changing bodies and relationships that they may come to know that they are loved by you and that they are held in your hands this and every day. Amen. And thy grace will stand
Our last piece of music is a song by the Beatles, and it's nearly 60 years old. What a thought. Before that, a final prayer. Lord, we have listened to you here in our worship. As we go out now, may we remember to listen to you in every area of our lives. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. You'll never know how much I really love you. You'll never know how much I really care Listen Do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Whoa, closer Let me whisper in your ear Say the words you long to Do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Whoa, closer Let me whisper in your ear Say the words you long to hear I'm in love with you I've known a secret for i